Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. As many of you who've listened to my stories about Muhammad Ali and Julio Cesar Chavez know, I've been a big boxing fan from the time since I was a kid. I always get juiced a week before a big fight, and this Saturday, there's one featuring two heavyweight champions. And yet, there are probably a lot of people who are unaware of it. If you knew the backstories of the two fighters, you'd immediately be drawn in by the stark contrasts, simply out of curiosity to find out what's going to happen. The two men stepping into the ring in Las Vegas on Saturday night are undefeated as professionals. Deontay Wilder, World Boxing Council champion, is 34 years old and from Alabama. He threw his life into boxing after his first daughter was born with spina bifida and he needed money to pay her medical bills. He has since had 43 professional fights. There have been 42 wins, no losses, with 41 knockouts, many of those knockouts in the first round. His daughter is gonna be well taken care of. When you look at all his victories, the one guy he didn't knock out the first time they fought, Deontay knocked out in the rematch. But there is also one draw on Deontay's record. That draw is with another heavyweight champion, Tyson Fury. Now, if you're wondering how there can be more than one heavyweight champ, that's because there are many sanctioning bodies. But Tyson Fury has the lineal title, the one that goes back through Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, and Jack Dempsey. The backstory on Tyson Fury started roughly 31 years ago when he was born prematurely, months prematurely, at one pound. That's how the story goes. He's grown to six foot nine inches and will be about 260 pounds this coming Saturday. He's a traveler, as they're called in the UK, a gypsy, hence his nickname, the Gypsy King. He's undefeated as well, having won 29 fights as the consummate boxer. And he's done all this through some serious mental health issues. After he won the lineal version of the title a few years back, he started drinking 18 pints a night at the pub doing cocaine, binging on food. His title was stripped in a political battle. He tested positively for drugs, ballooned up to 400 pounds, and nearly committed suicide by driving a sports car at 190 miles an hour over a bridge. Then he shows up at a Halloween party at 400 pounds, dressed as a skeleton. And at the end of the night, he took a careful look at himself. And that's when he began to lift himself out of his crisis with a series of physical goals. Those goals got him back to the gym, back into the ring, and they pushed him on to clarity and into that fight with Deontay Wilder. That was in November of 18. And I was at that fight. It was at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, and it had one of the most memorable last rounds to a fight I've ever seen and I've seen plenty. 
Simply the size of these two guys made it unforgettable. Deontay must go about 6'7", weighs roughly 220. He's got an enormous wingspan. That makes it really difficult for opponents because Deontay's able to throw out a long left as a distraction and catch you with that right coming behind it. And that right may be the hardest punch ever in the history of the sport. But it doesn't work as easily when he's in the ring with somebody who's bigger than he is, who has a longer reach, and who fights as fluidly as a man much smaller. For much of the fight, Wilder couldn't get to Fury, and Fury boxed his ears off. In the last round, Wilder finally caught up with Fury and landed his big punch. Fury looked like he was knocked cold as soon as he was hit. And then another left nailed Fury on the way down. And then Fury's head bounced off the canvas. It looked like he was a goner. It was a monumental comeback for Wilder. But it turned out that the comeback would be Fury's. I don't know how. He doesn't know how. Nobody knows how. But at the count of six, he started to rise. And he got to his feet at nine. After he took Wilder's best shot and got up, he composed himself, and then he went after Wilder. It was a startling reversal and end to the fight. Even if you didn't like the sport, you had to admire what these two men had been through throughout their lives and through that 12th round. One judge scored the bout for Fury, another scored it for Wilder, and a third called it a draw. So... The big question this week is, what's going to happen when they fight this Saturday night? Which is why my guest this week is an old pal, Lou DiBella. Anybody who follows the sport knows Lou. He's headed into the Boxing Hall of Fame this year. His career started as a lawyer for HBO during the days when HBO was the showcase for the sport's great fights. It is no longer, but Lou went on to promote on his own and worked for a time with Deontay. He knows both fighters. And by the end of this conversation, you'll hear how Lou and I each see the fight going and about the little bet we made. This conversation took place on two coasts. I was in LA and Lou was in Long Island. But if Lou sounds especially good, it's because my man Richie at Cove City Sound Studios in Glen Cove uses some high quality mics. I'm going to get some sporty goodies over to Lou and Richie with gratitude. And Lou and Richie, I want you to get an idea what's coming your way. See, last week I spoke at a conference for Value Builder. And one of those in attendance happened to be a devoted listener of Big Questions, Ed Misogland. After hearing me talk, about the softness of Sportique threads and had to see for himself. So he went to his computer, typed in sportique.com, that's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com, then used the offer code CAL and got a 20% discount off a hoodie, sweatpants for his wife. Now, Ed's a classy guy, so he calls the outfit a leisure suit. But I want you to listen to the reaction once those threads arrived in the mysogland household. 
you know, I've been listening to you for a while, and the funny thing is I have um, – my wife's a, a therapist, and she counsels uh, children that have gone through some trauma. And every time she comes home, she walks – you know, she says hello to us, and she goes right by us, and she goes upstairs, and she would go get her leisure suit on. And she'd come down, and she looked like she was right out of Chariots of Fire. At any rate, I, I heard about Sportique, and Christmas was rolling around, and I looked, and I'm like, well, they're, they're gray. New leisure suit. And so, so when you say leisure suit, these are like sweatpants, right? The good, hoodie. The, right? The right. great yeah, leisure suit, like that. that's an upscale Indianapolis <laughs> way. Well, some some people have smoking jackets. She has a a leisure suit, and it's it is great from top to bottom with some slippers. And so Christmas morning, there's my sportique leisure suit. <laughs> the, Leisure suit 2.0. And she you laid him out. You got gray sweatpants and, and a gray hoodie. Gray hoodie, the whole nine yards. And, and the funny thing, so she opens it up, and she didn't know what to make of it. And I said, I'm telling you, I heard that these are the best. This is the best thing you're ever going to put on. Uncle Cal said so. And so, so she comes down, and she goes, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing I've, I, I've ever worn. We ended up buying some some new some additional pants, and then Valentine's Day's rolling around. She's gonna get some more sportique gear, so it's so funny that uh, yeah, she she loves it and and she swears by it. So your endorsement, I you know you never know about an endorsement until you get it. But I mean, she's a raving fan. And there you have it. I'm so happy for her, and I'm so happy that she knows those comforts. But you know, Ed, what about you? You know. Eventually, I will. I'm. I'm just not a. Uh, I'm not a hoodie guy. They're coming your way. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Cal. <laughs> Lou and Richie Sportiques will be headed your way, and you'll be roaming in comfort. So now, let's get straight to Lou DeBella and the big fight. My man, Lou DeBella, how you doing today? Always a pleasure, Cal. I'm doing great. All right. Well, it's wonderful to talk to you as a great heavyweight fight approaches. And it, it, it had me wondering, like, why do people get so excited around the coming of a great fight? You've been promoting so many years. You must have looked deep into the heart of men and women to understand this question. I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I, I think that when you look at boxing, just in general, it's pretty much sport in its most base form. You know, it's mano a mano or woman against woman. It's not always the greatest athlete that wins. There's a lot of intangibles, who hits harder, who can take a harder punch, who has more heart, um, who has more balls, who's willing to suffer more pain. You know, there's a lot of different factors. There's 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 more poetry in theater you know, to boxing. And, and well, first of all, I think there's more poetry in, in theater to combat sports than to any other variety of sports. And then I think when you look at boxing, there's more poetry in theater to boxing than any other sport. And I think that's a reason that even when boxing has gone through its, its many sort of like down cycles, there are still more movies made about boxing, more books written about boxing, more poetry, more songs, more art, more theater. I mean, you know, it's because of the natural theater, the natural poetry of the sport. Um, it it's really is sport in its most basic form. And when you happen to have a big heavyweight fight, 
it really resonates because there's really nothing like the heavyweight division. Less so today, but when you go back through the history of sports in America, the heavyweight champion was, for generations and centuries, the, the, the baddest guy on the planet, one of the most famous people in the world. And um, boxing historically has been so significant, even sociopolitically in this country, when you had guys like you know, Jack Johnson as heavyweight champion in a, a period of time where where blacks weren't allowed to do anything in terms of most sports, you know, where Joe Lewis was a transcendent American hero in a period where there was abject racism all over the country. And, you know, Muhammad Ali, who really changed the whole way, not only we look at, at, at fighters or boxers, but the way athletes are, are, are perceived and also the way acts, a- athletes can transcend their sports and become... Um, superstar celebrities and and you know recognizable you know social figures. Um, you can make the argument that unintentionally Ali had a whole lot to do with the civil rights movement in America in the in, in the sixties and seventies. So I mean I think I think there's just a lot of a lot of poetry and theater to boxing. As you're talking, I was wondering if Muhammad Ali had played another sport. Would he have been that transcendental a figure? Probably not. I don't think they would have let him. You know, the, the another joy of boxing, and, and you, you being the interviewer you are, you're probably trying to get me there, but boxing's the wild, wild west. There's no fucking authority. There, there, there's, no, there's nobody running it. There's no one looking out for the best interests of, quote-unquote, best interests of the sport. You know, there's no commissioner. You know, the rules are there to be bent. There are you know or organizations all over the place most of them not even located in the, in this country that rate the fighters and and establish rules and and one of their rules is they can change all the above so boxing's been the red light district of sports the wild wild west for a long time but you know while there's bad that comes with that there's also a lot of good and the good part of the good that came with that was a, a figure like a transcendental a completely you know, novel at the time, a, a, a revolutionary athlete like Ali could emerge. You know, Cassius Clay could become Muhammad Ali in boxing. He, he certainly would not have been able to do that in the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA at the time. Yeah, you know, so much was on the line back then when you think of the 60s and the civil rights movement. But in, in the coming week, we're going to see a great heavyweight fight. I know it because we've seen it before and it was great before. There don't seem to be any like social ramifications to this. It, this is fighting on a pure level that makes you wonder about all those attributes you were talking about uh, when we- when Yeah, but, we... But, but there are intangibles here, bro. There's there, certain differences here. There, there are things that make, that make Deontay Wilder and, and Tyson Fury different than most other heavyweights today or, or, or even, you know, somewhat historically. Um, I, you can make the argument, start with the argument just on punching power that other than Mike Tyson, um, there hasn't been a heavyweight in my lifetime who could punch like Deontay Wilder. And I'm not so sure he's not the hardest punching heavyweight in the history of boxing. And I know, you know, some people would think that, you know, that's hyperbole, but it really isn't. I mean, he's, he's knocked out every man he's ever fought. You know, his one fight where he didn't knock out uh, Stavern, 
uh, when they rematched, he he almost knocked him out of the ring into another universe or into a uh, another dimension. You know, he's never been in with a ring a man. He has it knocked out. And by the way, his this rematch with Tyson Fury, he came damn close to knocking out Tyson Fury in the first fight. He knocked him down twice, but by by any measure, the second knockdown in the Tyson Fury fight, the first fight, could have been a knockout. The referee certainly gave uh, Fury opportunity to recover and benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying he did anything wrong. The fact that Fury was able to get up and continue so well maybe justifies the end, justified the means. But um, in 99% of fights, that fight would have been stopped right there. But 99% of heavyweights wouldn't have popped up like The Undertaker in professional wrestling like Tyson Fury did. It was an unbelievable recovery. Um, something like I'd never seen before. Yeah, I'd never seen anything like it either because, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but after Wilder hit him, he literally made a motion of like, slicing somebody's uh, neck off like an execution. And it, it looked like Fury was out cold and then he gets up and not only does he get up, but he very quickly recovers and then comes after Wilder. No, it, it was it was remarkable. It was a remarkable recovery. I've never seen, it. Literally, was something like out of the you know, uh, the 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 wrestling federation. I mean, it was it, it was it was like the Undertaker, that character, the Undertaker, who like would pop up, you know, from the dead in the ring. I mean, I, I mean, I saw his eyes roll when he, you know, fell backward. I thought that fight was over, and not only did he get up, but he got up, got up and fought really effectively afterward. Um, you know, it was a tremendous show of, of guts and, and, and heart and, and recuperative power. And, you know, Fury has something that's very, very important in boxing, man. He has, you know, he has punch tolerance. You know, there's a lot of guys that their, their Achilles heel is, is their inability to, you know, tolerate a punch. He tolerated, the, you know, the, the hammer of Thor and, and he got up. But will he be able to do that again? And will Deontay Wilder let him off the hook again if that happens in this rematch? And that's, you know, the the fascinating question. But, you know, but going back, you said that this is just a heavyweight fight. Tyson Fury's not just an average heavyweight champion. I mean, he's the gypsy king. Um, you know, being a traveler, you know, a gypsy in the UK, um, coming from like a bare knuckle boxing sort of history, uh, a a you know, the, the travelers very much are not on the inside of of uh of UK society, they're they're, they're somewhat outsiders. Um, Tyson Fury's had to fight uh, through a lot of stuff in his life, uh, including mental illness, depression, suicidal, um, you know, thoughts and tendencies, drug addiction. Um, fascinating cat, tremendously charismatic, really smart, a natural born entertainer. Um, you know, great interview, uh, sings, dances, and you know, he he's he's the whole package in terms of a a promotable, entertaining um, guy. I mean, and and both these guys have those X factors. Deontay's X factor. I mean, he's a personable guy. He's this giant of a man. Looks like an NBA, you know, power forward, um, and and punches walls down. I mean, I've never seen anybody that could punch like him, including well, Mike Well, here's Tyson. the thing to me, and when I was getting at before was, there don't seem to be social ramifications, but when you look deep inside these guys, the backstory is amazing. You had uh, one guy, you just described Fury, uh, who 
uh, wins the title, comes from the gypsy background. Uh, after it, uh, he basically stops training and balloons to 400 pounds, is out doing drugs and drinking and nearly commits suicide, driving a, a sports car like 190 miles an hour over a bridge. Uh, and then is able to overcome the mental illness that was at the root of that and get back in the ring and then go up against Wilder, who has his own amazing backstory. He's He's got a daughter with spinal bifida, correct? Yes, yeah, daughter with spinal bifida. That's what got him, you know, into boxing, actually. He was, you know, he could have, he was an athlete also. He could have done anything. Um, he picked up boxing real late. He won a Olympic bronze after basically having, I don't know, very few amateur fights and only having laced the gloves on for a very short period of time. But he's a tremendous athlete. He was working at a McDonald's or like a fast food restaurant. This is a guy that, you know, comes from the sticks at Alabama, you know, from really, uh, you know, real poverty and, and nothing and wrote, you know, took himself out of, you know, nothing to lacing on gloves and in a very short period of time becoming an Olympic medalist and then, you know, arguably, well, not arguably, I, I view him as the baddest man on the planet because, you know, Tyson Fury is a lot of things. A puncher is not one of them. Tyson Fury's probably, you know, the irony of Tyson Fury is he's another giant of a man, but basically he boxes. I mean, he's a technical boxer, probably uh, as great a technical boxer as as there's been in a very long time in the heavyweight division. There were very few people that can box like Tyson Fury who are his size. Um, but he's certainly not a puncher. And 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 that's one of the intriguing things about a Fury-Wilder fight is that they're like, their styles are so opposite. I mean, Deontay, you know, Deontay's a, a better boxer. P people like to say he can't fight at all. Aram's running around screaming, ah, he can't fight at all. Look at him. He's, he doesn't know what he's doing in there. I, no, you know, he's better than people think. He, 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 he has a chin. He has guts. He has balls. Um, he, he, his defense can be better if he needs it to be, um, than people think he's, a, when he gets a guy hurt, he tends to be a little bit wild, but by the time he's got them hurt, he's in no danger generally. Um, but his punching power, he has literally the hammer of Thor. He, he, his, he has ungodly power in his right hand and, and, and I mean, scary power, one punch power. He's not a volume puncher. He's not a guy that'll go out there and throw, uh, you know, a hundred plus, you know, punches around, and he's not going to beat a guy in accumulation of punches. He sets up that, like, you know, that eraser, and then he erases you, and he can erase you with one punch. And that's what is so compelling about this fight. The fight's so intriguing because if it goes 12 rounds, you pretty much know who's going to win. Like if it, 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 are there circumstances where it could go the distance and Deontay wins? Yes. Probably Does not. it figure to? No. If it goes the distance, the likelihood is Tyson Fury wins by decision. But at any moment in that fight, at any moment in that fight, from round one till the last bell rings in the 12th round, Wilder can knock him the fuck out. And with one punch. And that's what makes it so intriguing. And that also what makes it, in my mind, like, you know, people say, who's going to win the fight? Who's going to win the fight? All right. You know, being cute, I would say if it goes, to you know, Fury by decision or Wilder by knockout. Um, but if you made me bet, if you made me bet, 
I would probably bet. No, I would not probably. I would definitely bet on Wilder because, yes, Fury could win that fight. He showed it by the number of rounds he won when they fought the first time. He's a brilliant boxer. Like when when he stays into his game and doesn't worry about entertaining people and doesn't worry about what the crowd thinks of his performance and he's just trying to make the other guy look silly, make the other guy miss, you know, box effectively. He's he boxes like a featherweight. You know, he's he's an amazing boxer. But he needs to fight a perfect fight to win. He needs to be perfect for 12 rounds. Deontay needs to be perfect for five seconds or maybe fewer, three seconds. He needs to land one hammer, one lightning rod. That's all he needs to do. And he could be down six rounds to nothing, eight rounds to one. It could be the 12th round that he needs a knockout, but Gosh, he has the ability to do it. I mean, he has the the punching power to knock anyone out with one punch. One punch. And and you know, the last guy in boxing that had that kind of punching power was was Tyson, but that was for a moment in time. And I'm not convinced, you know, Tyson was low to the ground and tremendously powerful guy, but I'm not convinced that Wilder's power is not greater than Tyson's. He's so long. His arms are so long. I, I've seen fights where his opponent has been fighting really effectively, hasn't been touched, is 100% confident, and bang, one punch lands, and the whole room, 10,000, 15,000 people are worried about that guy's health and safety. You know, that's how devastating a puncher Deontay Wilder is. So it's a a classic matchup, Cal, between, you know, people always say the boxer versus the puncher. In any weight class, I can't think of a starker, you know, more defined clash of styles where you have one guy who's the pure boxer and Tyson Fury and the other guy, you know, being the destroyer and Deontay Wilder. One of the real interesting things to me about this is that Fury probably will come into the ring maybe 40 pounds heavier than Wilder, which I I wonder is what helps him with that punch tolerance that you were talking about. You know, if, if, if I had somebody 40 pounds lighter as opposed to 40 pounds heavier, there's a big difference there. I mean, I don't think it has anything. You know what? I disagree respectfully. Really? I don't think the weight effect. No, I, I think punch tolerance is more... I don't know if it's inherited, it's 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 genetic. I don't know what it is. I, I don't you know. Um, I don't think it has to do with the weight. I don't think it's the size. I think it's just the ability to to withstand punishment and and you know uh, not be as susceptible to concussion or you know having your bell rung as as some other people are. You know, I, I've seen I've been in the sport a long time and it's really interesting. But there are there are there are people with ridiculous talent that. Um, you tap them on the jaw, stiff jab, yeah. and they can be stunned. And there are other people that look like they're frail and not very athletic, and they get hit with uh, a hammer, and uh, they can walk right through it. Um, uh, I don't know what what makes someone have a tremendous chin. It's a, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I, I wonder if some of it's not even physiological, but I, I don't know that the weight. Makes I don't really think it's so much the weight because if it's the weight also if you're going to use like you know if that's punch tolerance wouldn't that also be punching power wouldn't you think that Wilder bulked up 
by another 30 pounds because, you know, Lord knows his frame could hold it, um, would have more power. I'm not convinced of that. Uh, I, I think a lot of his power, I think a lot of it is the torque, the athleticism, the length uh, of his punch. I, I don't know, but um, I, I really have not seen in my 30 years in boxing in any weight class, he's probably the hardest puncher I've seen. Well, and that leads to another question then, because I, I get it, and part of the whole quality to this fight is every second you have to be completely engaged because you know the fight can be over in a second, like you were saying. But another thing comes to mind then. If Fury has already been knocked down twice by Wilder and he's gotten up, does that put something in Wilder's head that, you know, I hit this guy with my best shot and I couldn't put him out? And does it do something? Nah, that actually doesn't. It doesn't. Well, first of all, the, the first knockdown in the first fight wasn't his best shot. It was more of a glancing blow and, and Fury was okay when he got up. The second punch... That was brutal. There were a lot of factors operating there. I want to tell you something. For Even, you know, Jack Reese let that fight go on. 99% of referees probably would have waved it off. I, I don't blame him for doing that because, like I said, what happened afterwards sort of made it clear that he he saw something and he he knew enough to give the guy an opportunity. I do question a little bit whether you can get a, you know, you could be on the ground for eight or nine and then get up and go through 10, 15 seconds of evaluation to see if you you could continue. Because I would think if you have to take that kind of time to recuperate, maybe the fight should be waved off. But I'm not going to question the decision there because I think it was okay. Um, but I, I, w I would say even Jack Reese, if that same scenario would have played out three rounds earlier, I'm not so sure he wouldn't have waved the fight off. If it would have happened, you know, I'm just not sure. And and I, I think that he was so close to be not getting knocked out. And it was such a remarkable example of recuperative power. And I don't think Deontay jumped on him immediately when he got back up the way maybe he would have done now. I, I think you learned something from the fight you had previously. And, and um, you know, I tend to think, if anything, Deontay knows I knocked him I knocked him down twice. I nearly sent him to another dimension. And how's he going to get away from me from 12 full rounds? And I think, if anything, Cal, I think if he has Fury hurt, I expect him to jump all over him. The interesting thing is Deontay can be a little bit wild when he has somebody hurt. And the question there becomes, if he has, if he's not as hurt as Deontay thinks— can Fury potentially take advantage of that situation? Because even though he's not a puncher, he's still a massive man who's very strong. So it's a really intriguing fight. See, the, the more we talk about it, the more exciting I get because there's all these scenarios. And I just wonder, uh, hearing Tyson Fury talk about mental illness and coming back from that and how difficult it was, it really comes down to Wilder physically having to knock this guy out because this guy's not going to quit. Fury is not going to be in a halfway land and say, oh, okay, I just can't do it. You know... Yeah, look, but I, I don't work with Deontay Wilder anymore, but I can tell you this, knowing him and being close to him for a long period of time, he's not quitting either, man. He, the, there's one thing Deontay Wilder's not, and that he, he that, that guy will not quit. And if he goes down and he's hurt, he's going to get up 
Does he have the recuperative powers of, of Fury? We don't know because he's never been hurt that way. And he probably, it's unlikely that he'll be hurt that badly by Fury because Fury's not that much of a puncher. But in a heavyweight fight, anything can happen. And Fury's a great a great fighter. Is he capable of knocking people out? Obviously. So, you know, maybe Wilder does get hurt. But, but Wilder has tremendous heart, um, a much better chin than people give him credit for. I mean, he was... When he fought the the first fight against uh, Luis Ortiz, I mean, he got hit with a shot that I don't know how he recovered from also. So he's got those other intangibles also. The the different thing about about Fury to some extent is the thing that may be the man that Tyson Fury fears more than any any other man is himself when he's not well. I I don't think he fears any other man. You know, and, and... I don't think Wilder fears any other man, but for different reasons. What do you think Wilder's reasons are? I mean, Wilder's the consummate underdog, you know, c- coming from the middle of nowhere in, 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 in Alabama, having nothing, you know, having a, a, a kid when, you, when, when you're a kid yourself, and then your daughter has spina bifida, and you don't have a pot to piss in, and you're working at fast food restaurants, and you turn yourself... You decide to lace up boxing gloves because you're an athlete and figure, hey, I think I can do this. And you realize, wow, I got power I didn't even know I had. And then and then literally getting in there in the amateurs, winning a, an Olympic medal at, with virtually no experience, and then becoming a professional fighter who knocks out every single person he's ever faced. So I don't think he has any fear because I think he has that much belief in himself and and his you know, rise from nothingness to, you know, being a, a, a multimillionaire and widely perceived as the baddest man on the planet. Fury, you know, came from modest means to the, by no means to the travelers, the gypsies have it easy in the UK and, and, and they're outsiders and they have their own sort of society and they're not rolling in dough and, 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 and they, they deal with a lot of, of prejudice and bigotry. And then this is a guy that probably had mental illness his whole life, battled depression. And, and, and he talks about it so freely. He's, you know, one of the things I admire about the guy, and I, and I, and I like Tyson Fury a lot. We, we you know, my, I lost my brother to suicide. And, and um, when Tyson Fury went through his real difficult uh, stage in, in his life where he was suicidal, where he was, you know, banned from boxing because he blew a drug, te- blew drug test and, and uh you know, I reached out to him a little bit then, and and, and we sort of, um, you know, we, we don't hang out, but we're friendly, and and I admire the guy. I like the guy a lot, and I, and and I admire his willingness and his ability to attack the stigmas that surround mental illness and surround um, depression and, and suicidal tendencies, and 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 I think he's helping a lot of people, you know, by his willingness to you know, be totally open and forthcoming about what he went through. He fears nobody because he's literally been to the darkest places that a person could be in his own head and had to battle those. And he battled through mental illness to the point that he's back where he is right now. So I certainly don't think he fears the guy he looks across the ring at. Now, that being said, he's also not a stupid man. And when he looks across the ring at a six foot seven. African-American man who looks like he's cut out of, you know, black marble and could knock down a wall with one punch. He may not be fearful, but he's going to be aware. 
Well, that's the whole beauty of, of this fight, just that tension on both sides. I, I, I don't think, look, obviously they're both going to make a lot of money, but when you're in the ring and you're up against that right hand of Deontay Wilder, like money really doesn't matter. You're, this is about survival. And well, listen, look, there's a whole other element too. Fury has to basically go out there and start winning rounds from round one. He has to get a lead. He has to be outboxing him. He has to be winning the fight. Deontay Wilder's last fight against Ortiz, he did nothing a lot of that fight. He was like sitting back, not throwing a lot of punches, and people were giving rounds to Louis. And Louis was winning the rounds, but it just didn't matter because you got the sense that Wilder was getting closer. He was measuring him. He was starting to land a little bit. He was finding his range, you know, almost like the export marksman, you know, that's like sitting there and he's like getting ready for the kill shot. And then bang, there came the kill shot. And that was the end of the fight. The same thing could happen with Tyson Fury. So there's no pressure really. Like you don't, you know, the, the people that are in that arena who are Deontay Wilder fans, they're not going to be, you know, the, the, the big gambler that has a, a $100,000 bet on Wilder, he's not going to be shitting his pants if Wilder's down three rounds to one. No, you know? no. But if, if Fury's down three rounds to one, he's in deep trouble. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it, it's, it's the whole, like everything, just the, the, the whole way you have to view the fight as a fan of, of either men, it, it's a completely different way of viewing the fight. You know, and the Fury fans are going to know that the fact that their guy is up seven rounds to two, you know, when you're going into the 10th round, doesn't mean he's safe. Doesn't mean he's safe. No, this is going to go down to the, to like the final second, no matter what. And uh, you know what? I'm just wondering uh, what you made of Fury saying he was going to knock Wilder out in the second round. Was that just crazy boast to get people's attention? Or do you think he really has a plan to try and stand up to this guy? You know, I don't know. I mean, he changed trainers before this fight. We haven't talked about that yet. And, you know, I think Ben Davison was his trainer and he no longer is. I, I mean, I always thought Ben did a good job. I mean, trained him well. I mean, you know, obviously Fury's had a lot of success. Um, I just saw an interview with Tyson where he said that one of the reasons why he changed trainers was to try to work on his punching power. Um, I don't know if that's a narrative to fuck with Wilder and it's a head game kind of thing or whether he's really thinking that he could hurt him. If he's really thinking that he could hurt him and his intent is to try to engage him, then I like Wilder even more in the fight. <laughs> Bad strategy. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, and, and by the way, I'm very torn on the fight because like, I do clearly see it like as two completely different scenarios that could play out. Is it possible that 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 Fury could just outbox him and make him look silly and and win a, a convincing you know eight four nine three kind of decision? Yeah, it's foreseeable. But but that but that ability to change everything with one punch will Deontay Wilder land one clean giant right hand? And the answer is, in all likelihood, yes. Is it going to be the eraser or is it just going to be a knockdown punch that, that Fury can, you know, weather the storm? That's what we're going to find out. 
But, you know, changing trainers, talking about the knockout, I, I tend to think that the guy is like, you know, sort of sly as a fox. I, I think that a lot of what he's saying is less for um, the benefit of laying out a real plan and more for messing with the, the wilder camp and trying to put stuff into their head that that probably is not true. Well, as we wrap up here, I'd just like to know, like, you've been at this for decades. and uh, Too fucking long. <laughs> actually, um, actually, you know, the anniversary, this week was the anniversary of Tyson Douglas, which was the first heavyweight fight. I, I, I was the lawyer at HBO, and I, I did the contract for the fight. That was the first heavyweight fight during my professional career in boxing that I was involved with. I was an HBO uh, attorney at the time. But but a couple of weeks ago was my 30th anniversary in boxing. And you're heading into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's pretty wild, you know. I mean, I mean, I got to be honest with you, it, it, it is, uh, it's fun and, and, and it's a lot more rewarding than I even believed it was going to be. It, it's nice to know that you're acknowledged. I mean, 30 years of boxing is a long, long time, and there's a lot of negative energy in boxing. And, and um, the, while boxing's afforded me the opportunity to meet amazing people, travel the world, you know, I've met Mandela, I, Muhammad Ali, and his family. I, I got to know them. He was my hero, my, you know, from the time I was six years old. Uh, I, you know, I've been really blessed to have some amazing experiences and meet amazing people through boxing, but there's definitely a, a, a counter to that, which is, you know, a lot of, of psychic negative energy, a lot of uh, dealing with really fucking bad people, a lot of lying and cheating and stealing around you, um, a, a lot of abject unfairness and, and corruption and, and a lot of darkness. But the, the poetry in the theater for me has always overshadowed the darkness and the, and the election into the Hall of Fame. Um, it, it, it meant a lot to me, you know, it meant a lot to me. It, it said to me that pe at least people recognize that in these 30 years of uh, joy and, and, and heartache that I, I've done the best I could. Well, you know, I remember being a young guy and uh, just hearing of you and always thinking, man, it would be great to work with Lou DiBella. Uh, and uh, who knows, one day, <laughs> maybe it can happen. But I, I want to close this well, I, I was reading your stuff at Esquire when you were thinking that to yourself. And uh, and it was fortuitous that we ran into each other at, at the Palm Restaurant in, in Los Angeles one day. Yeah, thank you, Charlie Steiner, for putting us together. And let me just leave it with one question, because you talked about, like, the dark side and the lying and the cheating and the stealing and all the stuff that you have to put up with if you're a boxing fan, and certainly if you're in the game. But... When that bell rings uh, on Saturday night and these two guys approach each other, does the feeling that surges through you, is, is it the same as, say, when you're watching Muhammad Ali going against George Foreman? Uh, is, is, it, is there something that's just so primal about seeing these two forces come together that just continually lifts you and brings un, un, you back. Un, undoubtedly, un, unquestionably, 100%. I mean, but but you're talking about also like when I when that bell rings and I'm sitting in my my living room because that's where I'm going to be 
uh, watching Wilder Fury. Yeah, I'm going to get that adrenaline rush I get when a, ba- a great fight that I'm anticipating is about to start. And it's a whole other discussion. We'll do another podcast one of these days talking about the state of boxing today in general. You know, there are a lot of fights. So far this year, there have been way too many fights that have been televised where where somebody's paid a lot of money for the fight. And it's been like an old Western movie from the 50s that were like cowboys and Indians where you knew what was going to happen and the Indians weren't going to do very well. You know, a non-competitive fight going in, going in, a non-competitive fight is simply not scintillating. There's nothing that turns me on about knowing the outcome in advance. I don't even want to watch. So I'm, I'm, I'm like literally not watching more fights than I've ever, than, than ever in my career. Like and there are fights, I'll, I'll know a fight's on TV. I'll assess it. I'll look at it. Okay, this guy's fighting this guy. I don't need to watch this. And instead I'm watching a good movie. Um, but a great fight, a great matchup um, where you know going in that it's intriguing to you, where you know going in the outcome is in doubt. There is nothing like that. There is nothing like that. There's nothing like that bell ringing and the adrenaline rush you get when you know you're about to see a great fight. And I think that's what's been so attractive to so many directors, actors, writers, poets, you know, musicians, more so I mean, even even music. I mean, more songs have made allusions to fighting and boxing than than songs about any other sport. I mean, it, it there's something where art, you know, artists are gravitate toward boxing, and it's that theater, the bell rings. Those two people approach one another. They're the only two people in the world for the for the next X number of rounds, you know, and they're alone. They're alone. It's a lonely place. No one can help them. They get in there, they're going at it, and there's no teammate. There's, you know, they're, they're just, it's the two of them. It's mano a mano, or now it's woman against woman. And, and you know, may the best woman win, but guess what? The best doesn't mean the fastest necessarily. The best doesn't mean the most athletic. You know, the best has a lot of different factors in boxing, m- more than in other sports. You know, uh, you know, if you could, you're a great shot, you're going to score a lot of points in basketball. You could have a great punch and, and be a terrible fighter. You know, there, there, there are so many intangibles from balls to heart to brain, intellect, to punching power, to punch tolerance, to to speed. You know, there power is so many factors that factor in in boxing that make it so different, so singular, you know. And, and that's why when that bell rings on that Saturday night on February 22nd and those two giant men start walking toward each other, that my heart will race and the adrenaline will pump. And, and it's not only going to be me, it's going to be almost everybody watching it. And I'm pretty sure you're going to get a text from me <laughs> when it's over. You have a prediction? Uh, you know what? I, I think that Fury is going to get up. I think he's going to get hit, but I think he's going to get up. And so the way I'm kind of hearing this, I'm seeing you figuring it's Wilder by knockout and me feeling it's Fury by decision. Uh, so, well, you know what? You know, you know what's you know you know what it is. I totally can see Fury by decision. I it, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all. But it's just that edge that Deontay has by that constant possibility for twelve full rounds that at any second he could land something that's going to hurt Fury badly. 
And, and that just makes me believe that it's it's more likely than not that he'll land something that Fury doesn't recover from. You know, it, it, the interesting thing is there's even a scenario here where you could see it becoming a brawl because I don't believe Deontay's going to... I think if Deontay hurts him, he's going to realize because of the two knockdowns that Fury recovered from in the first fight that he has to jump all over him. And when you jump all over another six foot seven, very talented man, you put yourself at risk. So there, you know, really anything can happen. But you know what? J- just for shits and giggles, I'll bet you dinner at the Palm. You're on, brother. <laughs> You're on, and and uh, we'll make it a good one. And uh, just look, it's just wonderful to be talking to you about this, and we'll we'll see what happens, and. You'll get it. The text will be flying on Saturday. And I hope this is just one of many more fights that we can talk about. From your mouth to God's ears, brother. Always good talking to you, Cal. All right. Thank you, Lou. It's just, it's great to know you. And congrats once again for going into the Hall of Fame. So well deserved. And I'm just, I'm proud of you, brother. Thank you, my man. I really appreciate that. Thank you. That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. It's always taken me to a good place. All of us. Think about it. If I hadn't started this podcast, you wouldn't be hearing me recommend sporty goodies and sweatpants. And how sad would that be? Find out why many NBA players make a special trip to the Sportique headquarters when they're in Phoenix to check out upcoming models of Sportique threads because those threads allow you to roam in comfort. Go to Sportique.com, that's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com and see for yourself. Use the offer code CAL and get a 20% discount. Want to thank Lou and Richie and audio engineer John Arbuckle for making this happen on the East Coast and Lou's Fleming for making it happen on the West Coast. Please let me know where you're listening from. Send a photo to me at calfussman.com. Always makes my day. Really hope to clink glasses with you down the tracks. And cheers! Cheers!